Hey, welcome to the Africa Podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. On today's episode, we feature a conversation with Zaina Hashembek, a Lebanese poet based in Dubai. Zaina is the author of many books, and it was a really fun conversation. This conversation was co-hosted by my colleague, Aya Nimr, who is based in Chicago. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. My name is Mikey Mhenna. I'm the executive director of Afikra. I am joined by my colleague, Aya Nimr, who's based in Chicago and is going to be co-hosting tonight's evening. It's my honor to uh, introduce Aya, who I mentioned uh, at the jump. Aya is a member of the Afikra team. She's a volunteer based in New York and works at the Museum of Contemporary Art in uh, Chicago. Uh, and our special guest is Zaina Hashembek, who is a Lebanese poet. Her writing covers a variety of topics, Arab culture, home, exile, family narratives, language, the body, love, and faith. Her po- uh, poetry often exists at the intersection of the personal and the political, the divine and the profane, the self and the other. She's interested in poetry that creates small bridges and insists on loving the broken world. Her third poetry collection titled O. Oh, will be published by Penguin Books in the summer of 2022. Her second full-length collection, Louder Than Hearts, won the 2016 May Sarton New Hampshire Poetry Prize. She's, all the, uh, she's also the author of two um, chapbooks, which is one of the funniest words in the English language, Adabi Song, winner of the 2016 Rattle Chapbook Prize, and There Was and How Much There Was, a Smith Doorstep Laureate Choice, her first book, To Live in, the Auto- to Live in Autumn, won the 2013 Backwaters uh, Prize. Her works have appeared in multiple collections, and we are beyond honored to have her join Africa Conversations. Zana, thank you so much for joining. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Aya. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. I love Africa. I love thank what you do. I think it's wonderful. I think it's so necessary. So I'm honored to be here. It loves you right back, I promise. <laughs> so, Zaina, I have a question for you. When people hear the phrase, Zaina Hashembek is a Lebanese poet, they think um, often that Zaina Hashembek is a Lebanese poet from Beirut because there must not be another city there, right? It's impossible that there's a diversity, a diversity of urban experiences, but that is not true. You grew up in Tripoli, uh, for those who don't know, it's to the north of the, the country. And it, Tripoli, in many ways, is a capital uh, unto itself. Uh, yeah. It has a completely different culture. Um, I mean, as, insofar as um, a city, you know, 40 miles could have. Um, but what was it like growing up there? And how did that influence the way you I'm, thought about your work? Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to dig up a photo on the WhatsApp chat between me and my mother. I hope I can find it. It's, it's the photo of the building I grew up in because she revisited it uh, a while ago. Yeah. And I mean, if I can't dig it out, that's fine. But uh, I grew up in this uh, small street in Tripoli that was very vibrant, uh, very um filled with like you had the you know you know the, the butcher and the the person who fixes the the shoes and the, the this small bookstore uh, and the small supermarket and so uh super vibrant inner tripoli and what i remember most is the school right next to the building and the archbishopric uh behind it, behind the building. The school was a public school that was uh, tabia, sort of uh, related to the archbishopric. Uh, and I used to sort of look look from, from the balcony of the kitchen, look into the, the, the classes, and also was very interested in this space that, so the archbishopric kind of looks like a church, but it's more, it's very huge. It's, I remember it as being huge and very empty. And I remember sort of looking into it and thinking, I want to play there. Like, I, why doesn't anyone live there? I want to go uh, play there. So my, my first childhood memory of Tripoli is churches and archbishoprics, which is not what people normally think of <laughs> Tripoli, uh, but which, which is the Tripoli I grew up in. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I mean, I meet people, sometimes I meet some uh, Lebanese people who grew up in regions, not like not in Tripoli or in Beirut. Their experience of, of the civil war is very different than my experience of the civil war. My Tripoli that I grew up in, in was a very kind of, make, no one cared 
what religion you were in, 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 in my building. And, you know, so this is the Tripoli I grew up in. What was the question again? The question is, um, you're, you're suggesting it already. My, my question really was, um, I guess, let me actually sort of move on. The, oh, yeah, they, the question... they, 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 uh, people tend to think more about Beirut, but not Tripoli, right? Like the yeah. center, the yeah, the, the center is, is Beirut. Um, I think that's changing uh, in Lebanon. I think after the Thawra, that's changing. Yeah. Well, let because, me actually, the question yeah. that I really want to get to is, yeah. is what is your relationship like with Tripoli um, mm. versus your relationship with Beirut? Yeah. And you have two of them, right? You, ha you have a relationship with both of them. Yeah. What is the difference in those spaces, like in your mind's eye? Uh, I never thought like I had to win Tripoli over, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, Tripoli is home, it's family, I know it, it knows me, fine. Beirut was the city I went to when I was an 18-year-old girl who just didn't want to live with her parents anymore. And it had like AUB and it, we could like go out at night and it had like, I, I was a party animal. I was. So it's like, yeah, party Beirut. So this was, this was Beirut for me. Uh, but I always felt like I can't win the city over. It's, it's just, it's, it's difficult. It's to what difficult. degree did you feel like an outsider when you went to AUB? Uh, I mean, not to the degree of like, oh my God, like people pointed at me. No, no. I mean, I made friends easily. It, it was fine. It's just, it was, it's, it's a much more layered and uh, I don't want to say much layered, much more layered and complicated than Tripoli because Tripoli is layered and complicated, but it was more unknown to me. It was more unknown to me. So I was kind of discovering this entirely new city that I truly didn't know. I barely visited Beirut as a child. So I felt that I had to, but I also immediately fell in love with it. Immediately fell in love with it. Yeah. I, you know, so I didn't feel like I kind of owned it, but immediately fell in. I, I'm still very much in love with, Be in, with Beirut. And I still very much, if I come back to Lebanon, I, I won't live in Tripoli. I mean, with, I, loved, I, I love Tripoli so much, but I can't live in it. I would live in, in, in Beirut if I were to, to go back to Lebanon now, if, if that makes any sense. So yeah. it, it had more arts, it had more theater, it had more crazy people, you know, so, which is unfair because Tripoli has art and theater and crazy people too, right? But this mm -hmm. is how things are centralized in, in, in Lebanon. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your evolution as um, as a writer and as a poet. Your first book came out in 2013, I, I believe, your first collection. Um, I think as so. You, is that right? Um, I don't know. I think I so. I go between dates. Yeah. It's right. 20 yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you uh, think back to the evolution of that work um, and how you really changed, and some, I'm sure some of the, the poets, the poems in that collection date back, obviously, uh, prior to that. Do you grind your teeth reading that poetry again? Um, how do you feel about that work? I, I thought that I would grind my teeth, mm -hmm. but no, because, because I was having this conversation with, I don't know if Lena Munzer is here. Uh, she said she tried to be here. The, uh, she's a beautiful Lebanese uh, writer, Rina, uh, Lina Munzer. And I think yesterday she sort of uh, sent me a WhatsApp message saying, I'm gonna read your work on the balcony. And I kind of assumed that she had To Live in Autumn, right? The first book. And my first reaction was like, eh, I don't know if I relate to these poems anymore. This is like baby Zena, I've grown so much. I've like, I now I write more complicated poems and all that bullshit. But then today I woke up and I actually went through to live in autumn and I still like baby poet Zena and I still like what she be, was doing. You gotta be nice to baby Zena. Hold yeah, on. No, absolutely. And there's this, the, 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 there's this authentic voice there that's still, you know, I believe in authenticity. I, oh, Lena's here. Hi, Lena. So I believe in authenticity. Yes, I believe in craft and all of that. I believe in working on your poetry and all of that. But you can have a really well-crafted poet that means shit, poem, that means shit if it's not coming from the heart. I believe in that. I still believe in that, even if I write crowns of sonnets or whatever. So, yeah, yeah I still like uh, to live in autumn. 
I think it was a necessary book for me to write. It was, so yeah. if you want me to walk you through the evolution of, of even evolution is like, makes it seem like I was like, like, you know, I evolved, but it, it's yeah. like the, the journey. So to live in autumn was the, the I'm going to do it very quickly. To live in autumn was the book that I wrote when I le- started writing in 2006, when I left Beirut and I was heartbroken utterly heartbroken like a fish out of the water why did we leave beirut you know you left you left during the war uh we no i i left when i got married so i got married in 2006 i left before the two it's so funny because we were filling out papers yesterday and marwan was like did we get married in 2005 or 2006 and I said, 2005, because you saved me from the Israeli war. The second summer we got married, not the first summer we got married. And he said, no, I came and got you the first summer we got. So that's how we Lebanese people measure time. Like, did we get married the summer they bombed us? So, yeah, I got married in 2006, January and uh, and left to Dubai. This was the trajectory. So I couldn't, I just couldn't cope. I was miserable. And this is how I coped with writing this book. Then came the two chapbooks. Arabi song came first. Arabi song came after the grief of 2013. August is a month I don't like, honestly. Um, August 2013 um, was when uh, the the Salam and Taqwa mosques uh, got uh, bombed and they got bombed one or again i'm not good with time but one or two days after my cousin was shot uh, on the street so that summer was brutal for me and the poems started coming were poems of grief 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 and then poems of song 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 and out came arabi song sort of submitted it to this contest won it there wasn't how much there was is very peculiar because i wasn't planning on writing these poems these were poems i was writing and i was scared of them I was really scared of them. So I left them on the side. And then Smith Doorstop solicited uh, 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 this chapbook from me because Caroline Duffy had, had read my poetry and recommended it. And they wanted the poems in what would become Louder Than Hearts. But I said, no, that's the book I'm writing. I don't want to like divide my book into two chapbooks, but I have poems about women. Do you want to read poems about women? And I was really scared. So I submitted. So there wasn't how much there was. It's kind of like very different, I feel, from all, from from these three that you see in front of you. Mm-hmm. Because, because it's written in the, all the speakers are women uh, uh, speaking about themselves or other women. And the penult- the ultimate poem, which is there was and how much there was, was written, written almost as a play. There's this little girl who's the narrator, who's listening in on all these women having coffee or wine and just talking about their children and sex and their husbands and what they're watching on TV. And so I was, I've always been fascinated in this beautiful space that we women create when we're together and just speaking about random shit. And I wanted there to be humor too in there. So, but there were also poems about some members of my family that, you know, dealt with mental, uh, mental illness and all of that. So these were difficult poems for me that I was hiding. And I just took that as a sign from the universe. Okay, get, get these poems out. And I got them out. And I don't think this chapbook was read as much as the others, to be honest. Then came Louder Than Hearts, which was... An elab- more of an elaboration of what Arabi song was doing. So the grief and the joy, the grief and the joy, Tripoli, yeah. but also Abdul Halim Hafiz. So, yeah. Perfect. Is it, uh, Aya is going to jump into some of these poems a little uh, in a little bit, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about those living rooms, right? Where you're saying like, this is, uh, you know, women getting together to, to share stories. It, in learning more about you, um, a communion and sort of community seems to be at the center of uh, of the of of the way of the way you work, and I, it seems to be at the center of how you think poetry is supposed to exist. It, it's supposed to be read. It's supposed Absolutely. to be received. It's supposed to be heard. It's supposed to be performed, um, and you do that both virtually and in person. Um, for people who don't know, you either uh, helped found or founded the Punch Poetry. Um, uh, performance nights in Dubai, uh, which is a space for an open poetry. mic night. Yeah, yeah. yeah open the mic night, which is this. Uh, you know, you hold space for poetry to be read. Um, 
has that always been true? And actually, I, I heard this in, I read this interview with you where you were talking about your, your childhood and you said, I instinctively gave little dramatic performances <laughs> as I read them in class. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and parading around was one of my favorite things. Um, I was paraded around from class to class to kind of show people this is how you recite poetry in yeah. French and Arabic. <laughs> I love it. foreshadowing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talk to me about why, why um, the, the performance well, aspect poetry, of it. So poetry valid. for me uh, can be enjoyed definitely on the page. And I think I want to write poems that exist beyond me and beyond my physical uh, I remember that Rina, Rina was, Rina was in the lycée with me. Hi, Rina. <laughs> she remembers me being paraded around classes. So um, I, I was saying I, I am interested in writing poetry that will not only live inside my body and on a stage. Let's be clear about that. I'm interested in writing complex, complicated poetry that is difficult. And I mean that in a good way, I, I believe in difficulty. I believe that we are meant, we, we are wired to, we like difficulty. Yeah, but we, they're not like, mutually exclusive, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely not. So difficult, complex, and on the page and also on the stage. Okay. I, I have a few questions, so I'm gonna pass it over. To her. Oh, but you were saying community. Yes, community is very important because you write a poem and then what good, what use is it if you don't share it with people? Hi, thank you so much for sharing your process. Um, I wanted to dig into a few poems. Um, so I wanted to start here to talk about your relationship to writing in Arabic or writing in English. Here we're framing it as a betrayal. I know that you've kind of worked on, you know, shedding some of that grief or not that grief, that guilt. And I wanted to hear a little bit more of your thoughts on how you've kind of managed or how has your relationship changed to the different languages that you've written in or choose to think or feel through. Yeah. Uh, so the, the first line says, I write, in, uh, I write in English the way I roam foreign cities full of streetlight and betrayal uh, until I find a coffee shop that speaks Arabic. So that I, part of me, uh, I no longer feel this. I disagree with myself. Part of me uh, felt guilty because I wasn't writing in Arabic. M my relationship to the Arabic language, and please, if we have Arabic speakers in the audience, feel free to like in the Q&A, tell me you feel the same way. Um, it's, it, it, you know, so you, I didn't have a problem with the Fusha, by the way, as I grew up, I, I liked it, I learned it. But I think there is a problem in the way we are taught it in school. Like no one tells me there's no problem. There's a problem. It's fucking boring. All right, that's one, all right? Though I did love the language and I wrote in it, like this is 1989, 1980, how old was I? Eight, nine, I was born in 1981. How old was I in 1989? Nine, all right? Mm -hmm. It's filled with Arabic and also French. So I didn't have a problem with Arabic, but I was turned off by it as I, as I grew up, all right? Because, it was taught a certain way or because there was this like the Arabic language is the best language in the world. And if you do not lie, write like the, some Jahiliya poets and you don't know all the before, then shut the hell up and do not write in Arabic. And so you're intimidated, right? And you shy away from it. And yes, there's also like the whole colonized mentality of people telling you, if you want to have a global audience, write in French or write in English. There's all of that that plays in. But anyways, my relationship with Arabic is complicated. I hate it, I love it, I'm afraid of it. All of this doesn't serve me. If you wanna learn, work with a language, you can't be afraid of the language. You gotta put the fear away because language is about playfulness and language is alive. And if you're gonna treat it like a dead God that you're worshiping, you're not gonna do anything fun with it. So I'm throwing that away now and coming back to Arabic which I've, I've been kind of doing slowly. And I like the framing of that, of like that there is a complicated relationship that has layers of coloniality. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I'm reading the chat comments, they're also- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, But then I also wanted to hone in a little bit more on like the specific word betrayal. I wanted to hear why in this particular moment you were choosing that word and what did that mean? And even like, like breaking it down a little bit more, why do you choose an ampersand and why do you put betrayal on a second line? Like how did, how did you come to think about like the form of the poem? 
Well, I, I just, I, I, I love ampersands more than the words and. I mean, I can't pretend to be smarter than this, honestly. I just love ampersands. I love how they look on the page. Yeah. Light and betrayal. Yeah, I wanted, obviously, I put it on another line to, to kind of highlight the word betrayal. And I think it comes here from that guilt that I was speaking about which is like how dare you uh, uh, not write in arabic i've i've been in in uh, certain uh, like book fairs here in the arab world where i was told like why don't you write in arabic you know kind of shame on you you're arab you must so this is where it comes from i'm kind of like fighting with these people invisibly in my head right. you know yeah. yeah no definitely it, it, it's it's interesting that we're always kind of like existing in tension with all the things that have been <laughs> you know, said to us or told about us or told about the world that we exist in. Um, there was another poem that I wanted to dig into um, called You Fixed It. And I, and I know this kind of came out, out of 2013 and you alluded to that a little bit more in the interview. Um, I'll take it a little bit theoretical and I'll bring it back to a little bit more of that historical basis. I think I'm really interested in how, you know, just like you, you have to fix things and that's a necessity and you're treating that experience really compassionately. It's not like we're reduced to kind of like these ruins that we have to navigate, nor are we glorifying, you know, this kind of like difficult moment, but we're talking about it from a very compassionate day-to-day -day perspective. And I know that that came from an experience where it was kind of day-to-day -day grappling with grief or day-to-day -day grappling with just how life is. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how that experience was for you and how this poem took shape. This poem is based in Tripoli. So this is uh, one of the Tripoli poem. And the voice in this poem uh, is a grown up remembering childhood. Um, so this is, I, I honestly don't know how the poem came about. I was in a phase where I was writing more into like my childhood in Tripoli as opposed to, uh, to my first book, which was centered on Beirut. And this poem just came, you fixed it, you fixed it, you fixed it. And all of these are things I remember. So fasten the pencil with a rubber band is actually my cousin who died. Uh, I remember he taught me this. Uh, the electricity, I mean, come on. Uh, the mom calling the butcher to call the, to call the, there's also humor in that poem. And this is, sometimes people miss this. There's humor. I think humor is very important in the middle of grief. All right. And the death that I refer to at the end is actually not the death of my cousin, as some people believe, because I wrote it after my cousin died. But it's actually the death of my aunt, which had nothing to do with the war. Uh, but it's the death of my aunt and she took her own life. And I remember I remember sort of her most. So uh, this is where it came from, this amalgam of memories of in Tripoli and sort of how do we fix this? And we fix this by singing about it and we sing about it one way to sing about it is to write poem about it write a poem about it i i want to dive into that a little bit more because i know song is really important to your framing as a poem i know you've done performances that incorporate song how do you kind of see the relationship between healing and singing and i know that's something that you just felt authentically and kind of like spontaneously but you know with some time from from that kind of initial experience how has that felt for you yeah no absolutely absolutely when when i was writing these particular poems there was a time where i was writing into like grief 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 and i remember very well this is something i do remember that during that phase what helped me is listening to music, listening to Arabic music. So I was listening to a lot of Abdul Halim and Um Kulthum and Samira Tawfi and Sayyid Makkawi and, you know, all these Arab singers that are, uh, you know, kind of older generation. And it's, and I was, and Warda, and I was dancing. So I would take a break from like writing this really intense poem and just dance it out and sing it out. And this is where the song poems came from. Because this is when I realized, hold on a second, it can't be all about and we die. It has to be about and we dance. And this is where the poems for the Arab singers came from. Yeah, I really love that. And I love how, you know, there's like the somatic healing that happens, like the ability to just use that energy in a kind of joyful way is so essential to healing. Um, there's one last poem I wanted to dig into and kind of like use a little bit as a, as a bridge. I think I wanted to confirm this one was written in 2020, right? So it's a more recent poem. 
I, I again, I'm not good with dates, 2020 or 2019, but it is recent. It is very recent. recent. Yes. Okay. yes. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. There's so much in this moment. First, I want to talk about um, its length. So I, I've, I've, I've chopped it up in this slide. This is the first stanza and the last stanza, but I've noticed that this is much longer than most of your um, previous poems. So I wanted to ask, like, what caused you to dip into a little bit more of the style? How has it been writing a longer poem? Is this one of those poems that took like years to write or was it a little bit more of a kind of it came all at once and you kind of refined it through editing? Yeah, th thank you for that question. And thank you for highlighting this poem because I like this poem. Um, so sometimes a really short poem takes years to write. This poem took me about, about a, a month or two, not a lot, because it's a formal poem and form helps you. It liberates you in a way because it keeps you grounded. So I knew that I wanted to write what in my head was the motherhood poem. All right. And I, of course, I've written a lot about motherhood, about my kids, about my mother, about, but I wanted to write the motherhood poem. All right. The epic motherhood poem. And I was like, how do I write it? And then this is where form helps because this is a crown of sonnets. And a crown of sonnets, for those of you who don't know, is a series of 15 sonnets. In the first 14 sonnets, each last line of each sonnet is the first line of the next, all right? So last line of sonnet one is first line of sonnet two. Last line of sonnet two is first line of sonnet three until you reach sonnet 14, right? Sonnet 15 is each first line of each of the 14 past sonnets. Line one, line one, line one, line one, put together, make sonnet 14, 15, all right? The ultimate sonnet. And of course you write the last sonnet first. No one is that smart, all right? So, I decided I'm going to write a crown of sonnet. And I wrote the last. Is that the last one that we have here in front of us? I, yeah, the one on the, the right is the last one. My mother. Yeah. So what, what I remember really well is my mother telling me the story of the day she was about to give birth to me. She saw everything that I swear to God, she tells me that. OK, she saw everything that happened to her seconds before it happened to her so she saw that she was gonna get a contraction she got a contraction this is the way she said it i saw that your brother is gonna come in that door and ask me to tie his shoelaces your brother came and it went on and on until she gave birth to me so she has me convinced i'm a prophet and of course i just turned 40 so where are you god i don't know i have nothing has happened yet but anyways so this is the motherhood story for me so i started from that and took it from there and it became about generations of mothers and it became about troblos as well and it became about lebanon as well so this is uh, this is the the story of the crown sonnets yeah i love that so much and i i love the the way that the form informed so much of the kind of like the history and how you chose to kind of use it generationally um, the one thing I wanted to even dive into a little bit more is we're birthing what different sinners profit. So two things. Yeah. One, you use parentheses brilliantly throughout the poem. And I wanted to hear how that kind of came to be in this last sentence. Uh, and then the second is, how do you see um, the relationship between sinners and prophets? Or why do you choose to juxtapose those two kind of um, descriptions of people? Because I dislike religion. That's my honest opinion. I have a fervent dislike of organized religion. And I have a fervent dislike of uh, like, you know, you're either good or bad. And, uh, and so uh, this is, you know, we're gonna birth sinners and prophets and these are gonna be our children. And it doesn't matter. Uh, so yeah, does that answer the question? I, yeah, I think it does. It's, I think it's just, you're kind of, by juxtaposing them, you're showing how absurd their existence even yeah, I is. I think the divine is inside the profane, basically. I think divinity is inside our bodies. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. No, I, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate kind of like the way that this poem just grapples with that tension between those dualities. But um, I'm going to punt it to Mikey because I think this poem begins to capture a lot of what your next book is kind of going to be about, which is like, oh, but we're, we guess we're not getting to that. Ex oh, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, talking about your new collection and um, how this poem might even foreshadow some of the themes that come up next. My God, this lipstick is super red. It is. Trademark. Uh, you can't, you can't move away from it. Wanda. Yeah. I told you. 
Yeah, Mikey was telling me he always imagines me with red lipstick, uh, not in a weird way, but like just like uh, <laughs> lipstick. Yeah. Um, so the question is, do you want me to talk? Oh my God, I digress I so think, much. Do you uh, want me to talk about O, right? Like what's yeah, O like, about? It, I guess uh, was that a, was that a foreshadowing of what we might expect? Yes. In, in O. Yes. And then I, just to piggyback off that question. Um, it seems like with the form of the last the last poem, it, it was almost like this technical challenge. Like, oh, that would be interesting. Let, let me do that. And so I'm curious if there are other technical challenges that that are yes. sort of tickling you, where you're like, I wonder what comes out if I do that. I it's, love formal poems. I yeah, just, so I what, love what is left? What are some other sort of like now, technical challenges that you're like, that would be interesting to pull off, see what comes out of it. Um, I'm not thinking much about that now. Now I'm thinking about uh, uh, more about like reading Arabic poetry and, and writing in Arabic and see what happens. That's a technical challenge. It is. Um, but I love, I love formal poems. I love ghazals. Uh, I, I love a cry. I mean, I, I used to think I hate sonnets because I, do you know, did they teach you about like the uh, stressed, unstressed, stressed, mm -hmm. unstressed? I never hear this shit. I can't, I can't hear it. So yeah. I thought I could never like, write a sonnet, but then I'm like, I don't hear this rest I'm set, but I am going to write a crown sonnet. So, so yeah, what I like, but more seriously speaking, what I like about formal poems is that they see, they are difficult and they seem like they're going to make you a prisoner, but they don't, they liberate you yeah. because within that form you can do whatever the hell you want you can go left right center you can be talking about god in one stanza and then talk about like you know your uh, i don't know your cat in the other stanza and then talk about uh, your hair dye in that stanza and then another one talk about sex whatever you can do those jobs why because the form is containing them yeah whereas poems that don't have forms a formal thing to contain it right you have to like find unity elsewhere, maybe thematically. So yeah. you don't you lose the reader. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense. I want to ask a really quick question about duets um, before we before we before we transition into the sort of the quick Q and A. Um, and those of you who are on the call, please ask your questions in the chat uh, for the open Q and A. Okay, this is my question about uh, duets. Um, a lot of your uh, a lot of your work features Arabic and English intertwine, not as a gimmick, but because that's how you think and that's how you speak, right? Um, it, and in fact, it's actually one language that you're that uh, it, at least to me when I hear you hear those poems, it sounds like one line, language. Uh, whereas the duets are different. Um, the duets are written fully in two different languages, um, and then you can create this third different version. This is my question to you. When I hear, when I've heard you perform those, the Arabic is not Amir. No, Fusha, yeah. So why? I don't know. I think because I can't bring myself to write a poem in Amir. I don't think why? I'll be good at it. I don't think I'll be good at it. But, Maybe but I'll it's explore featured it. In, it's featured in your other po poetry. Yeah, but not as a poem, not as an entire, mm. not as an, an entire poem in Amiyya. I love Amiyya poetry. I just don't think I'm good at it. Maybe someday I'll explore it. That might be a good formal challenge as, uh, as well to, to explore. Uh, but yeah, right now I feel more comfortable writing a poem in Fusha, if that makes any sense. It does. It's, 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 uh, it's interesting. Um, okay. I want to ask you these four quick Q and A's and then, uh, if there are, uh, if there's still time, we all, we'll have tons of questions for sure. Okay, what are you reading or watching right now? So watching, unfortunately, like many of us, I've only been watching news about Palestine. Like this is this is all I've I've been watching. Reading, I just finished reading this crazy brilliant memoir by Hassan Al Barghouti called Al Dawa Al Azraq, uh, the Blue Light. And I've also been reading a lot of Arab poets in Arabic because I've been working with my friend, the Palestinian poet Farah Shamma on a podcast in Arabic about Arabic poetry. 
that will come out soon with salt. Uh, it's called Maqsuda. So I've been, by default, I've been reading a lot of Arab poets. <laughs> Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Maybe Um Kulthum. I would love to see what she's up to, but also maybe my therapist or, or, or maybe not my, like any good therapist because I'm interested in mental health. So, yeah. Um Kulthum's therapist. There you go. That's um Kulthum's therapist would be great. <laughs> how long do you think those therapy sessions are? Like five hours? If, the, if a, a performance <laughs> is three, how long are the sessions? And the therapist okay. is like, we're not Tani. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what do people most misunderstand about your work? Uh, it's not a question of misunderstanding, but I get the sense that people know more the overtly political poems of mine and less so the more personal poems. Interesting. Can I ask you a follow-up to this? What do people misunderstand about the, the career of a poet? It depends who I'm talking to. I mean, if I'm talking yeah. to my family, they're like, why don't you make more money, right? Not my, not my, fam not my mom and dad, but like some extent, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, some, uh, I mean, but I understand. I understand the fact that people don't understand what, so what, what? But it's just like being a dancer. It's just like being a yeah. musician, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, whose work do you admire or are inspired by? This I'm sure is, there's a long list. Uh, this is not a rapid fire question, this one. Yeah. And I hereby object and I will give you a long-ish answer. Cute. All right? We are always inspired and re-inspired by whoever we happen to be now reading or rereading, if we like them. Sometimes you don't like the book. If you don't like the book, don't feel guilty, throw it away. Um, I would say as a school student, definitely the French symbolists, Verlaine and Baudelaire. As a university student, definitely T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland of, and the Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. I learned a lot about writing poetry through rereading those two poems. Uh, I used to be really into Camus also when I was a university student. Um, and books find you in certain times, all right? So I so I remember, so when I was thinking about that question, I got like flashes, right? So when I had just had had my second child uh, and I needed poems about the female body and being a woman, Dorian Locke's What We Carry found me, the book, and I loved it. It just found me at that particular time, right? Uh, I love Philip Levine's work, especially today and 2000 years from now, that poem I keep going back to. Um, Naomi Shihab Nye, I found Naomi Shihab Nye's work on a bookshelf in Beirut, and she was the first poet that I remember, oh, she's talking about Arab stuff, yay, you know, so yes, I, I love her person and her poetry uh, a lot. Uh, in terms of Arabic poetry, right now, I really love the work of Asma Azaize. Her poetry is so intense and heavy and complicated and complex. Um, I love the work of Murid al-Barghouti whom we lost recently. He died in February. My God, in his last book, please get it if you can. His first poem called Sagir, A Small Eternity, will make you cry. It's so good. It's a long poem and it's so good. In terms of ess essayists, I love Lila Munzer, who I've mentioned uh, earlier, Zahra Hankir, Salim Haddad, Hala Alian's essays are brilliant. Uh, I love Edouard Said, of course. And I want to be able to do interviews like James Baldwin. That's it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. There's a technical challenge for you. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, here's a, our first question comes from Rosine. Rosine, you there? Rosine? Hey, uh, Zena, how are you? Hi, Rosine, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, Zena, you, you mentioned all these books that you read, Little Divertive Accounts, like a homework. So is it like, do you read for work? Do you read for fun? And is it the same thing? And do you enjoy both format of reading? Uh, you, mean, you mean that I've been reading for the podcast? Does that no, mean no, like... No, 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 no. You said, you said once 
a couple of years ago that you are uh, maybe in my in our workshop that 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 usually people are people when they write they they are inspired by what they are reading at the moment yes and 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 the stage for, with me and and i still i i still do that you know like if i want to to write in the I, style, I read i i read to feed my soul yeah this is why um, I'm, okay and it's fun to feed your soul it's yes. also excruciating but it's fun. So, you, so you don't say okay i'm going to uh to 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 read from this poet or or this type or this writer because this is uh i i want to in, uh, be more uh writing more in his style you do that ah, uh no not in his style but learning so for example when i was doing <coughs> ghazals mm. i went back a lot to marilyn hacker and mimi calvati because they are brilliant with ghazals so i went back to their ghazals a lot to learn from them absolutely Okay. With a crown of sonnets, Patricia Smith has a crown of sonnets that's brilliant. I went back to that. So I learn from poets. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Thanks, Zeno. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, Rayan, you are up next. Uh, Zena, thank you for, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying and I've been wanting to, to attend this um, talk today. And I've been thank reading you. some of your work, sometimes when you tweet, actually your tweets are, are amazing. Uh, I wanted to ask something, um, actually have you ever thought of experimenting in a different genre of writing, like uh, something for theater, for example, or something else that you think you'd be willing to try? maybe something for i don't know movie um it's it's uh, interesting thank you for that question it's interesting that you should mention mention theater because my second love is theater uh i love working in the theater and actually uh, there was and how much there was was put to stage at aub by director sahar asaf nice. uh, it was made into a play and I helped her sort of shape it, shape the text into a play. I haven't thought of it before, but I would definitely be interested. And I and I am now interested in nonfiction. I'm truly mm -hmm. interested in going towards essays, but it's it's a bit too brutal to write anything now. I think the past year and a half in Lebanon just completely broke me that I'm just not capable. Totally understand. But I think, I, I mean, I'd be interested in seeing any kind of uh, theater or like uh, just the theater that you would come up with. And I think with coupled with some music, that would be you know, like amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, would, I love the theater, definitely. Okay, that's an open invitation for everyone who's, uh, <laughs> who wants to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Thanks, Diane. Um, Diane, you're up next. I'm really enjoying this and I want to thank you for putting it on, but I wanted to ask you, I liked your answers for your sources of inspiration. And I wondered, I don't read Arabic. Are any of the poets, the Arabic poets, particularly women poets translated into English? Yes. That you know of? Yeah, yes. Uh, I think definitely Asma Azaze must be translated. Uh, Someone typed her name, I thought I saw in the chat properly. Asma Azazin must be translated. I think Fadi Juda has translated Maya Abul Hayat, who, who's another Palestinian poet, and she has a book coming out with Milkweed. So that should be available in the oh. US because I know you're there, Diane. Okay. Uh, Murid has a poem called Midnight, uh, a book called Midnight and Other Poems that was translated by his uh, wife, Radwa Ashur. Uh, it's a bilingual connection and it's a book length poem called Midnight and then other poems. So that's definitely translated. I have an, uh, I, I, I would really love to translate Murid, honestly. That's, I've been thinking more about possibly translating uh, Arab poets. Who else? Uh, I mean, Samar Abdel Jabir is a brilliant, also contemporary Palestinian poet. I don't know if she's been translated online, but you can look her up. Uh, Dalia Taha is amazing. I also don't know if she's translated. She's, but you can just look them up. Dalia Taha, Asma Azaize, Samar Abdel Jaber, Maya Abul Hayat. Who else? You know, the older ones must be translated, like Fadwa Tuqan or Nazik al Malaika or who else? I mean, these are these are what come to mind 
no. Okay, no, that's great. I quickly typed as you were talking, even phonetically, I'll figure it out. But I, I can I, send it to you. I can send them. I can send you oh, the names okay. later on that Facebook. Would be great. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Diane, this uh, this conversation will be on our YouTube uh, page as well, so you can oh, good. you can go okay. back and listen to all the okay. the names that you may have missed. Okay. Um, so, I you know, Zena, I'm really happy that you brought this up. Uh, I wanted to talk. Oh, to you and Iman Mersal, sorry, Iman Mersal is translated definitely the the Egyptian writer. Sorry, Mikey, I was just like kind of yeah. No, no, it's okay. I want to talk to you about your your essays because I noticed that there were you know a, a lot of essays coming through um, recently, and I I was curious if you had been writing um, essays uh, that you weren't publishing or sort of. Uh, sketches of essays um, yes. you were publishing b beforehand and then this was a you know a um, intended sort of intentional rather a decision to start publishing in this form and what does the publishing process do to sort of inform give you feedback yeah thank you for that question um, yes uh, so what happened is I kind of found myself thrown into nonfiction. Uh, despite my resistance to any to writing anything but poetry, because yeah. I, I love poetry so much, but I was thrown into nonfiction when the Thawra in Lebanon started on October 19, uh, 17, 2019, right? So a few days after the Thawra started, I started manically journaling every day. So every, all I was doing for about 50 days was watching the news, watching the news, watching uh, social media, kind of completely going insane that I am yeah. not there. And I went there for a weekend and all like, and I found myself just instinctively going back to the laptop, either in the morning, every day or at night and just writing, writing, writing. So as you see, this one says day 48. So, and I yeah, we were all counting. Yes, we were all counting. So it was day one, day two, day three. And I have, I think up until maybe day 50. All right. And so uh, uh, this is this was published on the public source and I sent it to them as day 48. And then they really liked the format and they started also like using that format days. So and so they, in, in other dispatches for for uh, from the revolution. Um, so this is what triggered uh, nonfiction. Yeah. I don't know why. I think probably because I was truly going mad and needed to process yeah. Or probably because I needed to document because I was not there in the street. So I'm going to try to document this moment as much as possible. So we do not forget how awesome this feels. You know, I remember having like this inst instinctual, like, like instinctive, like, I don't want to forget how this feels. Do you know? Yeah. And this is this is where this essay came from. Yeah. Day 48. But yeah. I haven't gone back to these notes. I have pages and pages and pages of notes. I have yeah. no idea whether they're any good, but I can't emotionally go back to them now. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of Lena, some of her essays in that period were just heart-wrenching. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, Amrita, uh, you're up next. You'll be the last question. Yeah, uh, Zena. Um, thank you for this conversation. It was so good. Um, but so you talked about valuing authenticity. Um, a lot of your poetry comes from your own experience. But do you think it's ever okay to write about an experience that isn't necessarily your own, not something that you've gone through personally? Yes, absolutely. I think it's, it's okay. You just got to write responsibly. So uh, my poetry comes from my own experience, but not, it's not autobiographical, like it's not a memoir. Uh, I make up shit all the time, uh, right? Um, and I think it's okay uh, to write. I mean, it, it depends. It depends who you are and who you're writing about, what's the power dynamics, uh, what the power dynamics is, is like, uh, and if you're writing responsibly. So it's it, it, I, it so in in general I would say yes I am I I'm not here to tell anybody what you can or can't write about but this is like a case by case thing where what exactly who exactly is writing about what and how 
are they writing? And are they aware of their own position and their own privilege and their own whatever as they're writing? So, yeah. Thank you. Great. Um, Basima, I think we may have time to squeeze you in. Um, let me try to un unmute you. Hello, Zaina. <laughs> Good. We never spoke before, but I'm so glad to be. Thank you. My question was actually about the authenticity. I mean, I can, I'm, I can define it, but I think I leave it to you to define because everybody has his own look at authenticity, and especially when you know, I mean, you move between countries, especially between your, I mean, you are born in different countries, you moved and you worked. So how how does this change? How how do you see this when you read, for example, I'm I'm also a fan of your your work and of Naomi and uh, many other Fadwa Tuqan. So how, how 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 would you you may differentiate between I mean authenticity let's say at the age of 15 and the age of 40 or now I mean do you see a difference do you see the depth of the words that you use how you see the world I mean there's a lot happens in between so uh, I mean at the age of 15 I don't know you're still a child uh, probably anything you write will be authentic, to be honest. Um, um, but like, so here's the thing. I say authenticity, but I don't know if I can define it. That's the thing. It's a feeling. It's a feeling that you get uh, once you read the poem, that it comes from some place that is necessary and real. That's, that's it. Even if it's not like a real event that has happened i don't know if i'm making any sense here but it's it's a feeling that you get you kind of you're kind of nodding when you're when you're reading or when you're listening to a poem so i guess this is what i meant by 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 authenticity and i also probably meant necessity that it has to be necessary for me to write this poem uh, that i'm writing otherwise i don't see why i should i should be writing it great um Wonderful. Zena, uh, for those of you who don't follow Zena online or don't know how to get in contact with her, she's on social media. Um, under her name, you can find her website as well. Um, it was a real thrill to have you on. Aya, thanks so much for uh, joining and for hosting with me. Uh, if you'd like to join more events, we have events coming up. I listed a uh, feedback link, which is just a single question. Was this good? Um, it's really helpful for us to know how you feel. If you're interested in supporting Africa and keeping these events open to all and free and uh, contribute to the library, consider becoming one of the hundreds of supporters around the world who help make this work happen. And with that, just to announce a few events that we have coming up. This Thursday, we're speaking to um, Bahia Shahab, an amazing scholar at the um, American University of Cairo focusing on visual um, uh, visual arts and focusing in, in particular on the visual identity of the Egyptian revolution and street art. That's a, uh, she doesn't do many events and she's an enormous resource. And then on next Tuesday, we're speaking to Visualizing Palestine, the folks from Visualizing Palestine to understand their work. Um, so please look up for that as well. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for Thank joining. You. Thank you so much, Mikey and Aya. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have new episodes coming every single week. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. See you next time and stay curious.